Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're enjoying spending this hour with me every week, and I hope that you continue to feel my tremendous passion, excitement, um, and always find it inspiring and educational. Um, the topic of today's show is nonprofit management, building capacity to secure and maintain external funding. My guest today is Kwa Ronald Kopaj. He's the Executive Director of Eyes Inc. He's going to share uh, some information about how to assess the readiness of your nonprofit organization for external funding uh, opportunities and discuss the critical ele elements of a competitive competitive proposal, as well as how to manage performance metrics once funded. There's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. Now, this particular topic is way out of my comfort zone. So you see, guys, I know to change and grow, we need to challenge our comfort zone, and that's what I'm doing with my awesome guest today. So during today's show, uh, Kwa is going to teach us um, how to assess the readiness of your organization if you do work for a non-for-profit or you're on a board of directors for a non-for-profit um, so that you're seeking external funding and you want, you'll, you'll discuss how to focus on five critical areas of capacity building. He's also going to discuss the difference between a grant writer and a funding developer and why having either on payroll isn't prudent prudent to the financial health of, of your organization. Um, he's also going to help us have a better understanding of the critical elements to create a more competitive proposal. Again, that planning and that execution, um, just to make sure that clarity is there, um, increases your chances of any funding. He's also going to explore with us the new and subtle expansions uh, many federal agencies have made in requests for proposals, RFPs, uh, data collection and performance matrix. He's also going to provide free access to information relevant to this discussion, including the internal business assessment and strengthening systems called IBAS, um, white paper on the five critical areas of capacity building, uh, which will include a sample of a comprehensive logic model, white paper on how to avoid possible pitfall post-funding, white paper on nonprofit myths, and my awesome guest is going to share with you guys a 25% coupon um, that can be used towards the Ising products and uh, services. So before we begin, I want to just give you some background on uh, Quoc. He has over 25 years of business experience with 15 focused on the nonprofit uh, industry. So like me, Qua started when he was 10 years old. Uh, he led several independent research studies, including a four-year study funded by the U.S. Department of Education on the impact of physical fitness on academic development. Uh, he also, uh, well, funded, he did a study funded by the Department of Health and Human Services to de uh, determine the impact mentor mentors have on minority youth. Eyes Mentor Project is what he developed. Since he, I mean, he's done a tremendous amount of volunteer work uh, with these non-for-profit, which is just awesome. He's constantly giving back. Since 2002, he secured over 38 million in federal, state, and private funding, and most recently, a one million dollar U.S. Department of Labor grant for Essex County College of New Jersey, um, plus other funds that he can go into later when he's on the show. 
Uh, for the last five years, Quad has led the nonprofit organization helping to build the capacity of other nonprofit organizations to be successful with implementing community-based projects uh, with focus on the uh, performance matrix. To that end, in 2010, Croy developed and launched, yay, uh, IBAS Internal Business Assessment and Strengthening System, the first and only on the online nonprofit management assessment tool. And he's going to discuss that today in more detail for you guys. Um, in early 2014, the Radix Network um, Research Analytics Data Interchange and Cooperation System was launched with the sole purpose to streamline the data collection reporting and collaboration among community-based organizations. So when I tell you this dude had tremendous um, experience in this realm, um, he really can talk to this topic. And I, I think that a lot of my um, listeners are either working for non-for-profit organizations or sit on boards that may need funding. So I just thought Qua would be an excellent um, guest to have and talk to that topic. Before I introduce Quad, I just want to share my story of how I met, as I always do. I actually met him several years ago. Uh, one of the firms that I work for, uh, we used Quad for printing my training material, et cetera, and he would have it delivered to my various locations. Um, the first time I had ever experienced, because we all know Connie Whitman is tech not, and Quad challenged me by setting up this whole scheduler system where I sent in my uh, materials and where they were to go and all of that. And by, I'll tell you, every time he nailed it. It was, it was in good form, where it needed to be, um, et, cetera, et cetera. So what I've learned about Qua over the years is he really is a perfectionist and wants everything to be perfect for his clients. Um, we haven't used that service specifically um, in the past few years, but Qua and I just, we get along. We're two peas in a pod. And we just continue to um, share our business experience and you know, keep up to date on family and just how we're doing overall. Um, I asked him to come on to the show because I know a lot of you are involved for these non-for-profits. And I just thought that you would find it interesting. Plus, again, I'm always trying to challenge myself and learn. So I just thought it was a no-brainer um, to have him on. I also found that uh, Quaz Experience, a new product just launched over the summer, uh, that's really going to be helpful for you non-for-profit organizations uh, that need to apply for the grant money. I know many of you are in key, key positions um, for this type of role. And again, I just thought it would be a, a really nice match. So now based on my intro, I truly am excited to introduce you to my brilliant special friend, um, Kwa Ronald Kopage. Hi, Kwa. How are you? I'm doing well, Connie. How are you? I, I don't know I, if I can um, live up to all those accolades that you um, said about me today, but I'm a try. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you, you'll nail it and then some because you're just, you're just awesome. And every oh, time I you. talk with you, I always feel, um, I definitely brilliant. That's a very good word for you. You are very uh, brilliant in how you think, and I appreciate that because I don't think I'm so brilliant all the time. <laughs> so um, I, I really am so happy that you fit us in and you were uh, able to get on the show. So Not let's jump right in. Our, our, my first question for you is, and really this is for my benefit as well, but can you tell us a little bit about, the how, uh, about how the external funding or grant process actually works? 
Sure. Um, there are several processes in, involved in that. Um, when organizations are seeking funding, um, they go to different sources. There are dozens of agencies or federal agencies that work um, in providing opportunities for nonprofit organizations, as well as foundations. There are thousands of found foundations out there that provide opportunities for um, nonprofit organizations. Um, so the first the first step is to, to identify which agency and what you're trying to what type of money you're trying to get from them. Um, the as you said before, the requests for proposals are these documents that are sent out to um, uh, um, alert the community about what funds are available. Um, these RFPs typically um, need to be turned around within 30 days. So not only do you have to identify the RFP, you didn't have to write to that RFP and get it back within a 30-day period. Sometimes, wow. yeah, it, it's a very fast process. That's why it's very important to be ready, um, have your organization ready, healthy, to be able to apply for these opportunities. Um, sometimes you'll have the agencies that will um, give you between 45 to 60 days. Those are typically um, large um, and more um, research intense type projects. But on, on average, it's about 30 days. Um, you have a chance to return that. Um, once that is submitted, um, you have about mm, anywhere between 90 to 60 days before determination is made and whether or not you get um, funded or get some notification at that point. Um, when you do, when they score your project or your proposal, anything between 70 and 100% score is on the scale for the typical scale of 0% to 100%. Those that score um, at 70 typically will make the list of um, proposals that will be funded. However, the caveat to this is that they start at 100. So if your proposal made 100, you're, you will be at the top of the list to be funded. However, if you score 70, 75, they will start funding from the top all the way down. And if they get to, if they run out of money prior to getting to your level of funding, then you have to start all over again because they won't fund anything um, at, after that point. And as I said, it's a very intense process uh, from beginning to end. And, you know, if you submit one application a year, that may not be the best thing. So it's behooving for organizations to try to submit anywhere from three to four proposals a year, because as they say, in the lottery piece um, in New York, you have to be in it to win it. So yeah, pretty much that's the, the, the concept of it. So if they could prepare better to get closer to that 100%, that, in, that number one puts them at the top of the list, plus by sending in multiple opportunities or multiple responding to multiple RFPs, again, that, that's almost a little feather in their cap. That's, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. And they have to also keep in mind, um, you're not the only organization applying for these funds. You know, sure. Typically, you can have 300 organizations from across the country applying for the same grant um, that sure. you're applying for. So you have to be very, um, very cognizant of, the fact, of that fact and that um, you have, your proposal has to be very strong and competitive. Yeah, because there's a tremendous amount of competition vying for the same money. What what are really the chances of coming in close to that hundred percent? Is it is it more feasible than I would think? Um, well, well, yes, it is. 
and it depends. It's not a it's not a science per se. It's pretty much subjective, um, and it depends on the reviewers. There are three reviewers that will look over your proposal. Typically, these are random reviewers that they selected from um, people who have run projects before, who have been funded before, like project directors, and they sit and review their subject matter experts supposedly. Um, again, can't, we can't verify that, but I assume that is the process where they are um, having subject matter experts there, and they review it. And you may have um, go to a panel of three people that will find it, everything is perfect. Um, it's very rare um, that you get that. I mean, I've had that happen to me maybe once or twice in my career where I received a perfect score um, wow. on, a, on a, a proposal. However, I received a perfect score and they get funded. Um, so wow. because there was too much money in that area that we were targeting already, they had put money in there the year before. So so those opportunities sometimes slip through, and not because of anything that you've done on your end, but because of how the, the system is set up. But the review process is supposed to be sub um, objective, um, but it is subjected to three subject matter experts, um, and okay. they make the decision on that. Yeah, which is good because you you know somebody might see something that the other one doesn't see, even though they're all subject matter, matter experts. So I get why they have the three. It's exactly. just like when you do anything, right? You always say get three proposals. So That's three correct. people looking at it, it, the accuracy, I would think, um, goes up for the rating, right? That, that I guess that's the assumption there. That's correct. Yeah, and they they average those those scores together, and then they sure. give you a final score. Mm -hmm. It's like the um, it's like the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> or like and you got a ninety point three. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly right. How it happens? Just as simple. That's as that. so funny. I wonder if they lift the cards up. You know, <laughs> um, you know what, Corey? Let's take a real brief break, and then when we come back, I want you to start talking about how um, the folks that do work in this world of nonprofit or volunteer on the nonprofit organizations, how they could better prepare um, for that external funding. I know that you have some criteria that you're going to go over. So before we jump into that, let's just take a real brief break, okay? Excellent. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Okay, awesome. We are back, and we are on with Qua Ronald Copage, my awesome guest. And we are talking about um, funding for non-for-profit. My next question uh, for Qua is, um, tell the listeners about how to better prepare their organization for the external funding, again, such as the federal grants that you had mentioned before. Okay, sure. Um, well, let me give you some background and some history about the process, because it's ever-evolving and ever-changing. Um, several years ago, this is about 10 years ago, um, and I'm talking about federal levels, but typically 
um, state grants, local grants, and private funders follow suit to what the federal level um, starts. So if sure. when I'm talking about the federal level, understand that it may apply 99.9% of the time to grants that are being offered through states and local um, offices okay. as well. Um, sustainability and accountability was the big thing um, a few years ago. So there were sections about how are you going to sustain your project um, once you get funded uh, and how you're going to track that information. That came about maybe seven years ago. Um, about five years ago, um, they modified their standards to increase um, the need to focus on organizational capacity. Um, what they found through the research is that many organizations, um, specifically a lot of the organizations that serve in minority communities, were not being competitive enough in their proposal writing. Um, thus, a lot of the funds that were being sent out to the community were not going into minority communities. So they, they being the federal government, set up trainings and um, made available different types of um, workshops and um, classes and webinars so that organizers and um, minority communities can actually learn how to increase their capacity to do better proposals or submit better, better proposals. Yeah, and they, they identified five areas where um, capacity need to be increased. They talked about leadership, organization, the program or service that you're providing, um, your revenue stream, as well as community engagement. These are the five areas where they wanted proposals to focus. Um, so bringing to date this, you know, what happens is when you're not ready to submit proposals um, or if you get funded, you're always working um, in crisis mode, which means that you are not, you have not planned properly and that you're running around all the time trying to get things, especially when it comes to the data collection component of it. That has been a major, major issue um, for federal government grants when they're reporting back on the services they're providing. A lot of organizations don't have the internal capacity to actually do that properly. And so they're always working in crisis mode to get that information sure. back to the agencies. Yeah, which is never good. I, you know, whether not for, for profit or a regular um, regular corporation, um, when you're in that kind of crazy mode, chaos mode, no, just no good could come from it. So this exactly. kind of planning, yeah, this kind of planning is critical. So tell us about the leadership component. Well, yeah, and, and leadership, like, like anything else, you need to understand who is leading your team, who's leading your organization. And um, if you are the CEO or executive director of a nonprofit, there are five things you really need to think about when you are looking at your leadership team. You know, who are the leaders in your organization? Identify who they are. What are their credentials? What do they bring to the table? What, in, in, in essence, what are their expertise? Um, are their philosophies um, aligned with the organization's vision and philosophy? Um, and how, and how, does, how do these, these leaders help move the organization um, forward in, 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 his, in, his, in his way of trying to get funding and to be able to grow and expand. So those are things that you really um, want to look at. What we find or what the research shows that many boards, um, which nonprofit board, are uh, ineffectual. A lot of them have people on their team that are just there just as opposed just to have 
just to have a, 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 to say to the community, oh, I'm on a board of X, Y, Z. However, they're not doing anything to really help that organization. So you you need to identify those board members who are actually helping your organization. That's critical. Yeah, it's interesting. I met with a gentleman. Um, I was meeting with, with a client. We were doing some field coaching, and a client, one of their clients came in, you know, knocked, and of course we, we welcomed him, and we were chatting. He's one of the, um, I guess he's the president of one of the local chamber of commerce. And so we were chatting, and he, of course he just took the seat, and he's trying to build, um, you know, the following, you know, people coming and joining the chamber. And he mentioned exactly what you're saying. There's there's um, a gentleman. I want to say it's Princeton, New Jersey. I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but I believe he said it was Princeton. Whoever that president of that um, chamber is, he holds his people accountable, his leaders on the board mm. to bring in X revenue towards the chamber by bringing in new people to join, etc. And I I believe he's got one of the strongest chambers, um, you know, in in New Jersey anyway. So I, it's exactly what you're saying here. We have people on these boards to say they're on the boards, but there's really no value added. Um, That's and, exactly and right. We need you, and, and, and as a leader in the community, like you said, the CEO of organizations, you really have to be smart and surround yourself by those highly effective people, again, with expertise, et cetera. So that's, yeah, I, I, that definitely resonates, I think, Again, for me, on all levels, non-for-profit, again, this chamber that I, this gentleman mentioned this maybe two weeks ago, um, so I think that awareness of key leaders that are effective, um, and again, holding people accountable is tremendous, right? Right across the board. Oh, most definitely, most definitely, and you have to start at the top. Uh, sure. It sets the tone for the entire organization and your people that are working with you. Um, if your if your board is um, ineffectual, then you're going to have ineffectual staff members typically. Of course. Mm -hmm. of course, and then they would rank low on that score from the 72 to the 100, right? <laughs> yes, they, yeah, that's exactly right because they're working in crisis mode and not not prepared to actually submit a, a successful proposal. Um, yeah, everybody everybody laughs at me. Every class I teach, every coaching session, it's for me, it's always about the planning and people feel, I don't have time for that. You don't, you, you, let me say this right, because I'm going to use two negative, two negative words. But you, you can't afford not to be prepared um, and take that time. You know, plan, plan, and then plan again. Um, I think that should be a motto in life, right? Not just at work. Oh, most definitely, and, and that which is a, that's a nice segue, Connie, to um, organization. Yes. Um, why it's important to get your organization together. And when I talk about organization, I talk about I'm talking about your team, your staff members. Um, the research, and then when I quote the research, the research is from a study that was done, one of the studies that was done by the United Way of New York that um, surveyed um, and focus grouped a lot of nonprofit organizations in the tri-state area. I think it was like three, over 300 uh, nonprofit organizations. What they found was that many nonprofit organizations do not like to invest in training their staff. And they classify that as a waste of money and don't see it as an asset um, in developing a staff. So that's one of the things that we need to, as nonprofit um, leaders of nonprofit organizations, we need to make the investment in training our staff because we can't hold them accountable for something when they don't know how to do it. So if you know, so as well, you know, as a trainer, uh, and being in training a lot, there are a lot of people, organizations that really um, believe in training their um, their staff, getting the best.
they can get out of them, providing the right tools to do their job. Um, and then there's some that really don't think that is important that people should do that individually on their own. But um, if you're going to benefit from it as an organization, you should at least provide the tools for your people to um, actually do their jobs properly and to grow within your organization. So organization yeah. is important with nonprofit organizations. Absolutely. And again, you know, I love what you're saying because I think it's relevant to all the listeners, whether they're non-for-profit or not. But I had a client many years ago and um, up in the, the Northeast, and they had this awesome profiling, uh, you know, tracking computer system. It was like a one-stop for all of their client information. Um, every line of business within the organization could see it. They could communicate internally. It was just, it was amazing. Wow. And so when I, yeah, it was really good. I mean, they spent a ton of money, right? So I come in and, you know, we're chatting and because now they're finally going to spend and invest in the human capital, right? They're employees. Mm -hmm. so I'm asking all these questions. And as I'm asking and he's telling me what the system's capabilities are, and I kept looking at him going, but why isn't anybody using it? Why isn't anybody using it? Mm. And it was interesting. He was a very intelligent man. And he said, you know, we we almost put the cart before the horse. We chose to spend the money on the technology. Now we have all this money spent, but no one has any clue. You know, they did the cursory training of going, wow. click on this, click on that. Mm -hmm. But to truly use it fundamentally from a skill standpoint, you know, every client conversation, let me capture those notes so the next conversation is at a higher level, whatever it might be. Um, if I'm sharing with another line of business, that they could go in and see my notes and get a feel of who that client is, et cetera. They weren't doing that. So wow. he brings me in. Yeah, it was really, um, again, he he self-assessed where they had the disconnect. Again, he's a very, very smart man. And so they brought me in, and he said, I need you to teach them the skills in tandem with how to use it in the system. And when I tell you the system was brilliant, I'm like, I, like it was, it, it was like Christmas morning for me. I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to teach them, and then there's something to support the behavior. So it's interesting because then I have other clients who spend the money on human capital and then don't spend on the technology. But here's the reality. Corporations, nonprofit, you only have so many dollars in the budget. How exactly. do you spend it? So it's exactly. it's really it's a tough decision to make. I, I totally under it's a double edged sword. That's true, but isn't an investment. There's a lot of those that are doing well, the research centers, those organizations, nonprofit organizations that are doing well tend to spend more in training. Totally. Than those who are not, and that's what the research shows that sure. they are able to get more money, more funding from various sources because they have those people. They have trained those people to be able to talk about what they do, how they do it, identify those the gaps and weaknesses, and know what how they need to bridge those things together. And whereas you have someone that's not focused on training, they're doing the same thing day after day after day. Um, sure. uh, a good friend of mine, um, Edwin Knox, Dr. Knox, used to say to me. A good manager comes into the office and says, what can I do differently today to improve um, the, the service delivery that we're doing as opposed to coming in and doing, saying nothing? You always need to ask yourself as a leader, what can I do better today? So every day it brings a new challenge. And one of those things you need to do is train your people to think that way as well. And if they don't have the training to, to um, think in that, in that, in that sphere, you as, and your organization lose out because you're not using the full potential of the people that are working with you. 
Yeah, think about it. You have no depth within the organization then. So it's it, you're never going to become great. You know, you're always settling for that mediocrity or that mediocre behavior. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And which, which, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and then the next one is the whole program services piece of it, right? Yes, and, and that's, that's very simple. And you have, to, as an organization, you need to identify um, what type of service that is needed in your community. You need to assess the community that you're serving. Um, you're not going to want to have four McDonald's on one block. If you know there's a McDonald's there, why would you now offer another McDonald's there? Because it's dependent on the density of your population. So one of the things that organizations need to be cognizant of is their, their service um, their service area. They need to assess the people and the community to find out what the needs are within the community before you offer a service. Because if the service is not needed, what happens? You don't get anyone responding or coming into your organization. You have no one to actually provide these services to. Sorry, ended with a preposition. Don't like that. But anyway, you get the, you get the, the sense that you have to understand and know your community prior to um, engaging services and programs. So that's very no, true. Absolutely, because otherwise it's, it's almost insanity if you're not identifying who needs your help, your service, whatever it is. Um, again, it goes back to every organization I think has to – define what makes them special to figure out, you know, who is going to be able to use them and how could they deliver the best for whatever that community's demands might be. So again, exactly. it's what, what makes you special to your competitors or to all those other people applying for the same grant money, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. You know what, uh, Croy, before we go on, I, we're going to talk about the revenue piece um, mm -hmm. Next, I just want to uh, do a brief plug for, I guess, you and I um, so that people can reach us, okay? So okay. Um, I just want to pause here and ask everyone listening, if they're seeking change in your professional and or personal life and not sure what questions to ask or what expectations or outcomes that you should ha have or define, you know, send me your stories, your comments. If everything Kwan and I are talking about um, again, whether you're non-for-profit, I think a lot of this can be relevant in our regular work life as well as our home life, our personal life. I think <laughs> yes. the skills that, right, that we're discussing is, is useful in, in every realm of our reality. So please share your stories and comments. Reach out to me at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com. Um, each week, I really hope that you're constantly learning to address things that need to be addressed by you, um, like dealing with changing uh, cultures, connecting more effectively with clients, increasing sales by better uh, by um, implementing better philosophies, how to stay healthy without putting medicine in your body. That was a couple of weeks ago we discussed that, and how to secure in t today's um, example how to secure uh, grant funding if you work for not-for-profit organizations. At the core, I always hope the information that I share or the topics that my guests and I discuss. Hopefully it becomes a catalyst for you to try to move forward, come out of your comfort zone, um, and begin to change something. No matter, the, no, no matter the perspective you're coming from, 
you have to start. And, and what, what Claude just said just resonated with me. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just movement. You have to you have to start somewhere and come in every day and say, what do I need to get better at? We don't know what we don't know, but if you don't ever seek answers, um, you kind of grow stagnant. And I think that's kind of dangerous. Exactly. So again, right? It's crazy. So. If they need help, I'm going to give them my information, and then quite at the end, I'm going to give them all your information. Uh, but and, and again, I can connect anybody uh, back to Qua as well, but I will give his information at the end. So please call me. My direct line is 732-888-1420. Email me at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com. Or, of course, go to my website at www.whitmanassos.com. I have all sorts of goodies um, on my website for you guys to use as a resource. I really am here to help, inspire, and guide you to challenge yourself, your organization to grow, and to find the answers to begin and or at least sustain effective change. Uh, change. Let's find the answers to get the results you need. And, and at the end of the day, I think we all deserve to grow and to become, you know, the 2.0, the 3.0 version of ourselves. So again, call me, 732-888-1420, my direct line, my website, www.whitmanassos.com, or of course, email me at Connie at whitmanassos.com. Let's grow you, your business, and get change to stick. All righty, Croy. So yes. let's go back to and chat about now the fourth component, which is, or the fourth capacity, which is the revenue piece. Yes. Well, that's a very critical component um, for a lot of nonprofit organizations. Again, as I referred um, earlier, a lot of organizations work in crisis mode and is not, and typically for financial resources, they are always looking for funding, um, and but they wait till the last minute to try to hmm. get this into their this 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 funding source into their um, their business. So the one of the things you need to do um, as a nonprofit is really plan out, strategize how you're going to seek funding. And um, one of the things that you need to do is put together a strategic plan, a uh, financial strategic plan, and that should include identifying um, various. First of all, understanding what you want to fund, not just your organization, um, but what what program, what services that you need to fund. So you put together a plan, list those things down, but you look in your plan, you need to include revenue streams from federal, state, and local offices, look at private foundations that are constantly offering opportunities um, for various programs from domestic violence to youth programs to ex-offender programs, re-entry programs, um, just the gamut. They work in different areas. They specify, they are specific to um, young girls programs, STEM programs, the, the what have you. So you can um, always find opportunities there. Um, I, I would suggest that um, throughout the course of the year, you also need to include some other fundraising opportunities um, on your website, post, um, give your, your visitors opportunity to make donations to um, those services that you do provide and that you need to get funded to keep moving forward to be able to provide those services. Um, so you may want to also work with other communities, um, other organizations within your community, um, which is the other component I'll talk about in a minute, um, community engagement. Um, but you may want to do um, several um, outreach activities where you can grow, um, do fundraisers um, in the community. So those are important that you need to include in your comprehensive package for strategic planning um, for your revenue component. 
Um, one of the things I really was um, stressed to a lot of organizations, which they many don't do, um, based on my experience, um, is to set aside funding in your budget to hire a grant writer or a funding developer. Anywhere between 15000 to 20000 a year would put you in a nice position to be competitive in that you will be able to submit several different um, for several different funding opportunities, not just one. Many organizations, I've had many clients who have that, oh, we submitted one grant this year. And I'm like, okay, that's it. You need to do more than one. You need to be proactive in seeking these funds because no one's going to come to you directly nine times out of 10 to just give you money. You have to sure. go out. You have to be proactive in your process. So putting together a strategic um, revenue plan is, is very key um, to making sure that your organization is um, is active in, in, in trying to get those funds. Um, I've had clients who have gotten a grant, um, say, for three years. They will wait until year three, halfway through year three, before they say, okay, we need to look at funding. No, that's not right. You need wow. to, once you get the first year through, once you implemented a program, the second year you need to start to look for sustainability funding um, and not wait till the last minute. Again, it's proper planning, and because poor planning causes chaos, as you well know, of Connie. Course. Yeah, of so you need to plan way out before the end of the program. And, and, and the, the kicker is, you know, I know, especially as a small business owner, you want to save money, so you try to do as much as you can yourself. But at the end of the day, you can't. It's just it's not possible it's because much. you don't have the expertise to be efficient in what needs to be done. And if 15 to 20 grand is what the basic costs would be or realistic costs would be, I'm not saying that's chump change. I mean, it's still a no, substantial. It Mm-hmm. But it's it's not that big of a deal on the flip side, you know? Well, true, if you are securing million-dollar grants or $2 million <laughs> grants, you know, so you the return on your investment is definitely worth it. Um, sure. Yeah, and, and it, it's just like you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, just recently um, I worked at Essex College and um, Essex County College in New Jersey. Um, they invested a small funding to have me write this proposal for them. Three months later, they get a grant for a million dollars. Okay, so that return on the investment is definitely worth it um, in the long run. So not every proposal that you submit is going to get funded, but you need to start somewhere. You need to have a plan in place, and you need to be compre- have it to be comprehensive as you're pursuing these opportunities. One of the things that I found, Connie, is that a lot of organizations say, oh, I have a grant right on staff. Um, I-, I advise against having a grant right on staff. So think about it. If you are paying someone $40,000, $50,000 a year, plus benefits, that doesn't include benefits, that's a lot of money. And typically, people who are working on staff as grant writers um, may churn out two grants a year because they're constantly being pulled from within the organization to do other things. A grant writer has to focus on what it is they're charged to do, and that is to bring money into your organization. So to have someone on staff full-time paying $40,000, $50,000 a year plus benefits, you're actually wasting and losing money versus having a consultant that works with you that's um, going to charge anywhere from fifteen to 20000 and you will bring that money in. You don't have that extra that you're bringing on, and especially if you're doing, if you're getting, um, if you're partnered with a really good funding developer or grant writer that can show and prove their their worth um, by bringing money in. So you you come out better in that in that regard. So if you have a grant writer on staff, great. Um, if you're looking to bring one on staff, I would say think twice 
before you do that because you're really going to go uh may go into the the red before you see any black yeah penny white with the old saying penny wise dollar foolish right exactly exactly okay so now you you had alluded to this community engagement as a piece of that can you talk more about that for us oh most definitely that is the um the icing on the cake and um what that means is that you need to engage other organizations within your community to work with you on whatever project you're doing. Funders, specifically federal agencies, now state and local agencies, they're looking at how you play with other organizations in your community, as, as it were. Um, they want to see those dollars, um, they want to see those dollars stretch within the community. So, ex- for example, um, if you know that you're doing workshops for youth in your in your community and there is an after-school program down the block from you, you want to partner with that organization because that helps you, that gives you a pool of vetted youth that can come in and do workshops and do your workshops. You don't really have to go out there and create uh, another outreach plan because you have a partner that has those resources. Sure. So you share the resources that you have within your community and you um, thrive and it strengthens your service and your delivery program um, throughout. And the same helps with the partner. So if you partner with someone and they need um, um, your services, you can then give those services to them. So it, it behooves you to the partner as many with many organizations as possible, um, such as um, clinics, hospitals, um, school districts, um, churches, even definitely some churches, faith-based organizations. Um, are very critical to because they have a lot of access to people, congregations in the area, um, social service programs. Everyone in your community, you need to have some type of relationship with them uh, in order to, for you to um, strive and uh, and uh, become successful. You can't work in a silo. Many organizations think, oh, I can sure. do it all myself, and you cannot work in a silo. That's where you would come to your demise if you start working in a, in a silo and then when you're submitting proposals and they see that you have no no um no partners through mous that you may send in or letters of support they you will not get funded because you will lose a lot of points uh, on your score so community oh. engagement is extremely important yeah it's almost like a barter system right you you support and yes. help each other exactly. because together we're better than me alone you alone um, so again, it's that whole leveraging to become, as a community, uh, tremendous. You know, I mean, there's a lot of strength in that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You can do more um, with more resources. But you, because again, as a nonprofit, you're working with limited resources and limited funds. I mean, and limited staff. And you need to partner with others to to be able to leverage those resources that they have as well, and vice versa. Absolutely. Um, now, we, we have um, just over 15 minutes left. So the other important question um, that I think we need to address is why don't you talk about um, that the funding, the grant writer and the funding developer uh, briefly, then, and then we'll take a quick break. And then when we come back, the last two questions in that last 15 minutes, we'll talk about when the organization gets funded, what are the pitfalls, so we could kind of give them a heads up as to potential red flags. And then mm-hmm. I do want you to talk about the Radix uh, launch that you had um, this year, right? It was summer of this year, correct? Actually, the January of this year. January. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought it was the summer. Um, okay. So I want you just to share what that is because I think you address all of these pieces with the Radix piece. So before we take a quick break, talk to me again about the grant writer, the fund developer, 
um, you know, and what to get after, to seek that funding. What's that next step in in using the grant writer and the fund developer? Okay, okay, great. Well, it, it, I try to make this as simple as possible. A grant writer um, is a person typically that comes in. You have you provide them all the information they need, and they take that information and apply it to the RFP or the proposal, the grant that you're looking to get funded through, and that's it. Okay. Uh, it's very rare that they do any research or anything on that level. They just actually um, take what you have and apply it to the grant and, and organize the information um, as the grant wants it to be organized. The okay. funding developer, on the other hand, is more comprehensive. They come in, they assess your organization, they find out what your, your um, strengths are, your weaknesses are, um, they look at where you want to go, where you are, where you want to go, and how to get there. They strategize with you with opportunities from federal, state, and local um, opportunities, and they pull that together. They do all the research uh, related to any area that you want to do. So they're very more comprehensive in what they do, and they're more hands-on to help you develop that to the point where they will help design and create programs that like you have an idea that I want to expand upon this service. How do we do that? Well, they come in and they provide you that service by telling you how to make this effective, how to make this better, um, what you need to do to be innovative in your design, and they'll help you design that program and then seek funding to support that. So, so they're a little, a little more involved. So typically, if, again, I want to just clarify, the grant writer and funding developer should not be the same person. No, they're not the same person. You can, have, okay. you can be a funding developer and a grant writer, but typically you're not a grant writer and a funding developer. Gotcha. Okay. Is, yeah, one is very simple. One just comes in, which is the grant writer. You give them the information. They organize it for you and, and spit out a proposal. The fund developer comes in, assesses your entire organization, helps you strategize for funding, um, and does the research, um, helps you with your budgeting for that, that piece, which is a, a huge part of the proposals, um, the budget, and doing the budget narrative. Um, grant writers typically don't do that. Um, so the strategy, the yeah, funding developer actually from, helps you from the beginning to the end, and the grant writer actually comes in, in the middle, gives you the product, and you have to then deliver the product to the funder. So Got that's it. pretty Got much it. it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right, let's take a very brief break, and then we'll come back and talk about, you know, okay, so I got this money, Yahoo, right? And exactly. then what, what are the pitfalls so that we could help the listeners kind of avoid, you know, yay, jackpot, and then, you know, how can we make sure that we're the most um, efficient with the use of that money? So let's just take a real brief break. Okay, excellent. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest for the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman can tame that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path, and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried-and-true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. Okay, we are back. 
Kwa, my awesome guest. We're talking about non-for-profit <laughs> getting funding. Um, so the next piece that we want to discuss is what happens when an organization gets the funding and what are some of those proverbial pitfalls um, which everyone should be aware of. Okay. Um, well, the, the first part is when you get funding, um, typically you have a planning period uh, allotted, allotted to you, and that's about 90 days. Um, okay. There are some programs that give you 60 days, I mean, 180 days, but that's very rare. Um, typically, you have three months or 90 days to begin organizing, putting things in place to be before your program is implemented. What I found with a lot of my clients that they like to procrastinate, avoid mm -hmm. procrastinating starting your program. If you have a July 1st start date on your award letter, the agency that fund you, funded you that money is expecting that you start services on that day, at least start planning on that day. So you can't go to them 60 days out. Well, we haven't started yet because we have this internal thing that we're dealing with, et cetera, et cetera. You might as well just say, here's the money back because they will probably take it from you if you're not showing any progress. They sure. will check with you. They will check in with you periodically during that period to make sure that you are on track to be able to start the program after those 90 days. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of organizations are not aware of that, and they wait four months out, and then next thing you turn around, they don't have any money. This happened to a few of my clients. In, wow. In yeah, they how, just, take it from you. How crazy, how crazy yeah. is that? Procrastination, deadly. Yes, very, very much so. Um, and you need to start looking at your outcome measures because, again, um, one of the critical pieces right now is how are you tracking your data and how are the outcome measures being met with the goals and objectives you set within your proposal? So you need to put in place the plan that you have to measure your program, how you're collecting that data and how that data is being analyzed to show the funder that you have met your goals and objectives that you set out in your proposal. So start implementing your um, outcome measure plan or the performance metrics um, for Absolutely. the program. Mm -hmm. it, it's funny, uh, I sit on a board um, of directors for a local community college here, Brookdale Community College. Um, I think they're r ranked one of the best in the nation. That's how mm. awesome this Yeah, it's a really good community college. Anyway, I, I work with the um, their paralegal studies team, the American Bar Association, and we got, um, uh, what's the word? Um, Credibility, uh, accredited, oh. accredited. I couldn't think of the word. So they got accredited. So mm -hmm. the process to get there was, um, you know, like you're saying, a proposal. They had to go to meetings. People came and interviewed us. And on the board of directors, for example, one of the criteria is you had to have a, a business person in the community. You had to have a judge. Um, you had to have attorneys. You had yes. to have blah blah blah. All of these different. Very diversified. Puzzles. Very diversified. Yes, absolutely. So that we could bring again that bench strength and and our voice to make sure that the power legal studies became, again, one of the best in the nation. Net-net, it took us probably three to five years, I want to say, to get the accreditation, which we did. But then after the fact, they keep coming back, and we have different benchmarks that we have to meet as, as yes. our little organization um, to maintain that accreditation. So it, it, I think it, it, it's kind of what you're saying here, but we do not, like we don't procrastinate. We're all over it yeah, um, and yeah. we're yeah but I have to tell you the the attorneys that run it um, it was a woman she is now since retired um, and now it's a gentleman Mike and he's I mean we do not 
procrastinate at all. The meetings are truly uh, mandatory, and you try to make them you know as best as you can because it all goes back to not losing that accreditation. So exactly. um, you know, procrastination is a deadly thing. It's just it's a deadly thing. Well, you know, um, Bonnie. Um, in all standards to some of the nonprofit organizations, some of them don't procrastinate. What happens with them is that they get so involved with the implementation and running the actual service or program they're, they are doing that they forget that sure. the important part is also to track your metrics. Um, so they're sure. doing, they're serving the people and, you know, in their community, and they wait until last minute, not purposely all the time, but they do, sure. and then they work in crisis mode trying to get that data together for their report, and sure. that data sometimes is summarily rejected by the funder because it looks like you just threw it together, as opposed yeah, to having and, it planned that properly. It goes, it goes back to what we said before, though, plan, plan, plan again. You have to have all the components exactly. in place before you, you know, before you pull the trigger. Um, last thing, I, you know, I know that you launched the uh, com commercial system called Radix, and mm -hmm. that you were the lead designer and developer of the city of the of the system. Can you tell everybody a little bit a little bit about Radix, why it was created, what does it do? Because I really think you could address a lot of these things. Um, and what are the benefits who might who, for the folks who might be interested? Do you mind sharing sure. it? Not at all, actually. I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm glad we had a little bit of time for that. Um, Radix is, as Connie was saying earlier, as you were saying earlier, <laughs> that um, it's a research analytics data interchange and collaboration system. And I designed this because one of the, um, the gaps in um, the research shows the collection data collection process in, in nonprofit organizations. Many um, if not most, especially serving um, communities, uh, minority communities, don't have the resources, the human resources, to actually pull all this data together effectively and consistently. Um, what we found is that, um, again, a lot of these organizations work in crisis mode, as I was mentioned before, they're too busy implementing the project or the program, sure. and they don't have the time to collect it out, all the resources. What, so what Radix does, it, it bridges that gap. It um, is a very comprehensive system that really focuses on data collection and reporting. Um, I, I, I share this with you very quickly. Um, I was on the phone with a client uh, at one point, and she said, oh, i got to go. Um, we have to get our report together. We were in a deep conversation, and I said, well, when is the report due? Um, it's due um, next month, and, and we only have a month to pull it together. I said, are you kidding me? Are you really huh. rushing at this point to pull data together? It's like, yeah, we got to go this system. We got to go this system. Uh, so a lot of the data, um, people hold things in Excel and Microsoft Word. Too many people, too many hands are in it. So the data is all over the place. Um, wow. And it's up to the project director or the executive director to be able to have a hold on that, and a lot of them don't. So what Radix does, it helps streamline that data collection process. It is um, it has a lot of um, great features. I, I say great features because I've worked in the, in, in the nonprofit community for so many years. And so through my experiences, just my own personal experiences and working with other clients, um, I designed it based on those, on those things, that, the needs within that, in that area. Um, so that's the crux of, 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 of Radix. You're able to enter your data. And once that data is entered through the intake process, you can click on over 70 standard reports that will give wow. you results just by clicking, whereas it may have taken you two weeks to pull something together. This will take you two seconds when you click on. But the important part is you have to put the data in the system. So when you get a new client, 
you open up a file for them. Once that file is opened up, Radix does everything else. It will, you know, help you collaborate with the partners in your, in your community. A lot of organizations, um, they, as their partner, they need to make referrals. Well, it helps you track the referral process, you know, from beginning to end. So you know everywhere that person is every time they're going to seek services, other services within the community. It also helps with case management. You have a lot of programs that use like substance abuse programs, mental health programs, or just training programs that need to do individual um, um, development plans. They call them all IDPs. And a part of that is the case management. Where are they with their goals this month? And so this system actually helps you track all that information in one area. So it's a very, it's very comprehensive and it's, um, it's available to just about anyone. And it can, it's accommodate, it can accommodate just about any program um, in the community um, that serves people and programs. Um, some of the things, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I, I was just going to say, it's, it just sounds so comprehensive and, and kind of easy to use. It almost goes back to my, my client that I was talking about before in Connecticut where, um, you know, they have this super system almost yes. where <laughs> if, as long as you put the data in, you can pull it in, you know, any which way once it's in the core system. That almost sounds like what you're describing here. That's exactly right. That's exactly awesome. right. And That's one awesome. of the things about this is that it also has mental health assessments built into the system. So a lot of us, a lot of people that work in the, in the nonprofit area, they have to do assessments to see if a person needs to go to um, mental health services, get counseling, or substance sure. abuse services. These have, um, the system has DSM-4 and DSM-5 assessment tools built in and it automatically scores it. So that really cuts a lot of time, um, especially with those people who are dealing with um, substance abusers and, and people with mental health issues. So that's built into the system. Well, the big thing I want to talk about um, for the project director or the executive director is the Radix Enterprise System, which is a comprehensive dashboard of audio performance metrics, easily set up in front of you. So at any point in time, an executive director, any leadership person can go to this board and see where they are in terms of their goals, against their goals and objectives for that particular program. You can have five programs. If you're running five programs, you can have your dashboard set up where it will show you metrics for each of those, um, those programs. And what this yeah. happens is it helps you to stay abreast of what's going on. So you don't, you're not working in crisis mode at the end of it, you know, saying, oh, we didn't meet this goal, but there's no excuse for you not knowing that you didn't meet that goal because the dashboard is telling you, you only have two people and your goal for this, for this quarter was 10. So what do you need to do as a, as a leader to bridge that gap, to change those numbers, to make it better? So you are, it gives you awareness early on before it's too late. So having these dashboards can track all your metrics. So you know exactly where you are at any point, 24 hours a day um, in, your, in, your, in your programs. Now, can they, okay, so I'm, I'm, let's say I'm one of the executives. I'm the CEO of some not-for-profit. And you're saying 24-7. Am I able, like, do I have to have a special code or do I have to have a laptop that I bring with me? Like, how do I access that information if I'm on vacation somewhere, but I, I'm, I want to track what's going on? Okay, well, it is, it is a cloud-based system, and it's, oh, okay. secure, it's secured um, with 512 encryption. Um, it's HR certified, so you can use a smartphone, your tablet, no matter where wow. you are. You log into the system, you use your credentials because it's credential leveled, um, and you, once you log in, the information is right there for you. And wow. it's easy to switch between, and we work with you. If you use the Enterprise Edition of Radix, 
we would work with the executive director to find out how um, they want to see their data, what program, what what elements, what outcome metrics are important to them. So we set it up so you always have the most relevant information that you need for your system and yes. I mean, for your, for your um, as a leader in your organization. It, it really, it, we're almost out of time, but it, it truly sounds like you've thought of everything. Um, again, that's 15 years of information that you kind of pulled in, like a funnel almost, right? You pulled exactly. it all in at the top, <laughs> and then whoop, you sucked it out the bottom of all of the critical um, pieces of the puzzle so that nothing gets lost. Now, I do know you, you have a video uh, demo on your website, correct? So if anybody's interested... Yes. We have okay. several demos on there explaining how it works, the details. We have the executive piece. So you can go to our website, and you can see those demos at any time. That's, that's awesome. Um, I want to quickly give all of your information, uh, Quas, that's okay. Uh, sure. If, if, they, if they like, they can either go through the website, Eyes Inc., E-Y-E-S-I-N-C.org, um, that's your company, yes. or they can reach you at, and I'm going to give the phone number, uh, 267 area code 352-EYES, E-Y-E-S, and those last four digits, I'll give the full number with the last four digits. Again, area code 267-352-3937. They can also see this Radix system um, by going to Radix Network. Dot net and let me spell that. It's R A D I C S network dot net or again they can reach you at seven one six area code seven uh, seven and then Radix. Let me give mm -hmm. the full number seven one six area code seven seven two three four two seven. Um, thank you so much for being on the show and for answering all these questions. Um, well, so Connie, again, thank I, you for having me. I really appreciate this. this is a really you good really, you, you just really are brilliant. See, everything you said, I was taking notes, and um, you just I'm again, so proud I think of you. <laughs> you're so proud of you. Yes, I'm so proud of you because you said you had no idea about this area, but you were very good in um, in in asking the questions. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Well, see, you coached me. See, they don't know that. But see, I, <laughs> I talk about coaching in a lot of my shows, and coaching is so important. And Qua and I had several conversations. He sent me a tremendous amount of information. And, of course, you know, I prepare because imagine that, Connie, not planning. Exactly. <laughs> that would be like an awful thing in my life. Um, I just want to briefly go through what, what we discussed again how to determine the readiness of your organization for external funding. We talked about those five critical areas uh, for capacity building. Uh, we learned the differences between a grant writer and a funding developer and whether to have them on payroll or not. We talked about uh, to better understand the critical elements to create a more comp competitive proposal. Again, we want to get closer to that 100%. We talked about new and subtle expansions by the federal agencies um, that have made the request for proposals, those RFPs, the data collection and performance matrix, and the importance of that. Uh, Quas providing free access to information relevant to the discussion. Again, he has some white paper um, things available. And Quad, you're giving a 25% coupon that can be used towards any Eyes Inc. product or service, That's including right. the proposal development and uh, Radix Network uh, yearly subscri subscription plan. Did I get that all right? 
That's absolutely correct, yes. Awesome. Um, again, I, I want to thank uh, Kwa. I hope he stays on the line uh, just briefly after we uh, stop recording. Um, but I, I hope you all will join me as uh, every week as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that change is possible and I really think oftentimes easier than we think. Thank you to my, my, uh, my brilliant uh, guest, Kwa, for being just so awesome. Thanks for your insights, information you shared. And I know I've learned a lot, so I thank you uh, for that and for joining me. Thank you uh, for You have me. been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Have an awesome week, and please try to challenge yourself by choosing something small to work on in order to change into the new and improved version of yourself. Thanks again. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I